Well, it's a privilege to continue on with this series that we have begun. We're up to week four in the midst of this series called Jesus the Game Changer. But the second series focusing on to the ends of the earth, our role and our our call to share the gospel locally and to the furthest corners of the planet. And we started looking at the Great Commission, Jesus' words, his last words, our, our first priority. We looked at our new identity in Christ, how that our relationship with Jesus compels us to share what we now know and the good news that we have. Then we looked last week at the idea of and the place of family in faith formation. We looked at family, faith and mission. We looked at the fact that those even within our midst, within our church, within our families, like that, that's a mission field as we share faith, as, we, as we're examples of faith to those in our midst. Today we're going to look at a very interesting theme. Today we're looking at dealing with opposition. Looking at the theme of the persecuted church. And it's an interesting theme, it's a challenging theme. But here in Australia we, we live in interesting times. Um, as a pastor, very often when I, I get into conversations with people, you know, right at the very beginning of the conversation, one of the questions people ask is, what do you do? And so very quickly I can say, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor at Roval Baptist Church. Many people think I am saying I'm a plasterer, <laughs> which doesn't help since it was something I did earlier on in my life, uh, my dad helping there. Uh, but no, 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 I'm a pastor. I, I work at a church. And I support and help people grow in their faith. And I get varied responses to that uh, when when I answer that question. I read an interesting article that said 10 years ago uh, in the States, the top three most respected professions included ministers of religion or, or pastors. Nowadays, guess where that lands? It's in the bottom three. Least respected. In Australia, look at the climate we've, we live in. Uh, the church, for instance, over many years has been in the spotlight for many of the wrong reasons. And so people don't look at Christians and automatically assume that, oh, these are good people anymore. Times have changed and continue to change in our own situation. I'd like to show you a small little video. It's, a, it's the story of Josh here in Australia, very recently, it was shared on the ACL, the Australian Christian Lobby website. But this is a a true story of a situation that's occurred here very recently. Thank you. Imagine what it would be like if you couldn't pray. As Christians, prayer is at the very centre of who we are. We are a praying people. We pray because we're not in control. We pray because God hears us. It's like in the Psalms. When things are going well, we want to give God thanks. When things are not going well or we're facing grief or sorrow, we want to ask for help. To not be able to pray is to not be able to do any of these things. And yet that's exactly what happened to Joshua. Joshua is a young Australian university student who loves Christ and wanted to share that with his friends and those who he came into contact with. And yet Joshua quickly found himself in trouble. In fact, it cost him dearly. I've grown up in a Christian family. 
and I've been raised with Christian values and I was around about three or so when I first made the decision to follow Jesus. Since then it's just been a continuous journey of discovering more of who Jesus is. So it all started when I received an email to say that I'd been reported by a few students for student misconduct. And so the instance that had been reported was me just talking to a girl I've been friends with for the past year and a half. And so we are just talking about work and she was saying she was really stressed. I asked if I could pray for her. She said, yeah, yeah. Something that she appreciated after she said, like, look, I don't agree with that. I'm an atheist personally, but thank you. I really appreciate the care. But I was then told that I shouldn't be praying for students on campus and that it's challenging their beliefs and that I shouldn't be doing that. I was pretty pretty annoyed, pretty confused as to why that was a reason. I was like, no way is that a fair reason to suspend me. I had been told that I needed to attend fortnightly counselling sessions to learn how to appropriately interact with my peers. I was also told that if I stepped foot on campus again that I would be removed by security guards. So I was quite amazed by that, thinking, wow, I've simply spoken to someone and I'm now like a threat to the safety of other students. Found out through a friend of the family's through church that she'd received some help in a situation from Australian Christian Lobby. Yeah, right from the start, they were very encouraging, very comforting, and just reminded me, look, like, you've been putting it on here, you've got God, he'll help you with this, it's worth, worth us fighting interesting story. Josh goes on to share how the Australian Christian lobby came around him and actually helped him take that to court and to fight that and, and, and it was successful in the midst of that but what an interesting time. Would you ever have imagined we'd find ourselves in this place? This is a reality of where we find ourselves now. We don't face persecution the same way some other nations do, but the landscape in, a cha- in Australia is definitely changing. In the old days, the old days, many years ago, who knows, <laughs> 80s, 90s, pre-2000s, maybe even 70s, Christians were thought of as being old-fashioned, maybe even a little uptight. But... There was still a sense that Christians were morally good, that the message of of Christianity was a positive message and that although in that that era the the sexual freedoms, for instance, weren't practised the same way that that many in secular society did, there was still this thought that Christianity is a good thing. It's still morally good. And in a sense it was still respected. Although, like I said, it may have been a little bit old-fashioned and maybe not for me. However, we find ourselves in a situation today where we're no longer just seen as old-fashioned but judgmental. We're seen as being narrow-minded. Christians are seen as being exclusive. And our message is not respected anymore. If anything, it is now offensive and counter-cultural. This is unique This is the first time in Australian history that this has come about. That what we stand for 
is no longer respected or seen as morally good, but actually is offensive and constrictive of the new progressive secularism in our culture. We are seen as limiting freedoms, not allowing people to choose to live out a lifestyle that they so please. And even recently, laws have been put in place to restrict Christian values and practices. Individuals can now even be prosecuted for not towing the party line. These are unique times for our nation and for our state. And it's becoming more difficult and more of a challenge to be a follower of Jesus in our day. But should this come as a surprise? I would say no. You see, the landscape in Australia is definitely changing. We could say this and begin here today. Opposition is inevitable. Difficulty and opposition were warned, prepared, promised by Jesus many years ago. Jesus warned and prepared us for it. Evident throughout church history and in many Western nations today. These are some things that Jesus shared with his disciples and to us. In John 16:33, Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you may, you may have peace in me. Now, just wait. When Jesus shared these words, he's just shared this, all these words about how you will have dis- difficulties. It, it'll be difficult to be a follower of Jesus because I've told you all of this so that you may have peace. <laughs> Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Don't you like you will? Not you may, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Luke 10.3, now go, said Jesus as he sent out his disciples, and remember that I am sending out you out as lambs among wolves. Think of that imagery for a moment, as lambs among wolves. John 15.18, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first, is what Jesus shared. Now, you know, we read these as as Christians here in Australia, we read these and you might even say, yep, I've heard every one of them. I know that. But it has not been our experience in Australia. The reason why? Many of the values of our nation are based upon Christian principles and has been for many years. It may not be a Christian nation, but the bedrock, the foundation of the life we live has been based upon Christian value systems. What we're seeing now for the first time is a shift. We're seeing a radical change away from, those, from that morality system and those values that we hold so dear. And so although Jesus promised these things many times, we're now at a point where we're starting to experience it and understand it for ourselves. It's a new challenge. Paul also prepared us for it. In some of the letters that he wrote, one to, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, he says, So when we preach that Christ was crucified... The Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Think about that. Two people groups that cover everyone. (laughs) When we preach to the Jews, they're offended. And when we go to the Gentiles, everyone else, what does it say? They say it's all nonsense. Right from the get-go. But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15? Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. 
this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. Have you ever thought about that? Has anyone called you? You are a dreadful smell of death and doom. This would be a new scent. You know, Calvin Klein, death and doom. No, I don't know. Okay, people may not say that to you, but more and more we're starting to get that reaction. As we live out the values, the biblical values, that's actually the response we're starting to get because the values that we, we believe in and uphold are becoming offensive to the world in which we live. It says, to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Look at that on one side. Life-giving perfume. On the other end, smell of death and doom. I'm at Ephesians 6 from verse 11. So Paul writes this as a reminder to put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. See, this is a reminder in Ephesians that we're in a spiritual battle. There's a reason for this. There's a spiritual battle that's taking place and it's a reminder for us that things aren't just going to go smoothly because there's spiritual lives are at stake and the evil one is doing all he can to inhibit people from coming to know Jesus. It's a reminder we're also reminded that persecution, opposition, difficulty has been present throughout all of history. I love Act 5. If you've got your Bibles, you might like to open them to Act 5. I'm not, I don't have it up for you because it's a bit long. But I want you to skim through. You might like to read this yourself later this week or today. But in Acts chapter 5 from verse 17... In my Bible, the, the little title, you know, the little man-made headings that help guide you, states, the apostles meet opposition. That's the little title. And we read this, that we have, the apostles are going and they're performing many miraculous signs and wonders. They're going out and they're, they're preaching and they're teaching and crowds are coming from all over. Many people are being healed. But in verse 17, the high priests and the officials and the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. So as this good news is going out, as think of it, people are being healed. People's lives are being transformed for the better and the religious leaders are jealous. And so they arrest them in verse 18. They put them in the public jail. And then an angel of the Lord comes at night and brings them out. He releases them and tells them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. I love this verse 21. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. I wonder what you would do. Imagine you've been imprisoned for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's probably not the first thing you're thinking of when you get out of jail to go and continue to do the same thing. But that's what they're instructed to do and that's what they do. And they're taken again. They're taken again. This time they're taken sort of to a, a court of sorts. If you continue on from verse sort of 31... And verse 33, they go before this court and they tell them all that they're doing and the court decides to kill them for what they're doing. And one of the people in the midst of this 
situation. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, we'll call it that, Gamaliel. Now he's an expert in religious law and he convinces, his advice to this court is, hey, don't kill them because if you kill them, there might be an uprising. So just leave them alone. If this thing that they're preaching and teaching isn't real, it's just going to fizzle out like so many other false teaching. It's just going to fizzle. So he convinces not to kill them. So the others in the court accept his advice, but then they take the apostles and they are flogged. And they're ordered never to speak in the name of Jesus again. And the apostles leave the high council after being flogged and they're rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for his name. Verse 42, I love this. And every day in the temple and from house to house they continue to teach and preach this message. They just don't change their behaviour. They go to prison, they're released. They go to court, they get flogged, they're released. And in between they just keep going, they're still faithful. And every time they're faithful they meet opposition but they keep going. We see this all throughout history. We see this throughout church history. I studied church history at Bible college. Has anyone taken church history as a formal subject? It was one of the most depressing subjects I have ever taken. I used to do this as a night night course. So you'd go in, it starts at 7, and by 9, 9.30, it's just depressing. This era, Christians are killed. This era, Christians are fighting. This era, Christians are killed. This era, Christians can't agree. This era, Christians are killed. It just, it's really depressing. But, <laughs> you've been there. Yeah, get it out. Cry or laugh. Cry or laugh. But the reality is from the early Roman Empire through the early Middle Ages to, to seasons in Europe and in China, the Soviet era, Christians have been persecuted time and time again for their faith. We actually live in a very unique season here in Australia where we haven't been formally persecuted for many years. In the pages of history, it comes up as a very unique moment in history. But things are starting to change. We see persecution today. We see it in the east, we see it in the west. The top five persecuted nations today, and this is a map, you can go and check this, look it up online, and it's actually interactive when you go online and look at it, the Open Doors World Watch Map, and as you hover over different, different uh, countries, it gives you information about them. It's actually very fascinating. So if you would like, go to the Open Doors World Watch Map. I've just highlighted a couple of the five top uh, nations in, w- in which Christians are persecuted. Number one, North Korea. Two, Afghanistan. Three, Somalia. Four, in Libya. And five, in Pakistan. And you can sort of see a hot spot right there, the, the, the darkest of colours. It, it's more colourful when you go on your computer. Where Christians today are persecuted for your faith. And this, the top five especially... These are Christians who are not just being ridiculed for their faith, they're being imprisoned, killed, murdered because they dare to declare that they have faith in Jesus Christ. Persecution is very, very real 
today. In Iran, Christians are threatened, beaten and even killed. I saw a documentary in regards to what's happening in Iran and although Christians there are being persecuted more than ever before, there is an underground movement. Some believe the fastest growing underground church at the moment is growing in Iran. I saw this interview, uh, this documentary, and they interviewed some of the, let's call them pastors. They're not really pastors. They're people who've become Christians and just feel they need to share the good news because there's no formal training. Uh, it's completely underground, and a number of them travelled to South Korea and, and they're blacked out, these individuals. You can't see them, but they share their stories. And one after the other say simply this, every day we walk out of our house in the morning, we don't even know if we're going to return home that night. Because locals, not, not the police, not the authorities, just local people will take them, beat them and leave them. Often beat them to death. They do unspeakable things to both men and women in the midst of that. And yet the underground church there today is just growing. As people are placing their faith in Jesus Christ. I experienced this myself just a, a small taste. Many years ago, I travelled to Sri Lanka and we went to work with a, a pastor who was planting a church in the, in the slums. We went and we were just going to support him and help him in that work. And the day we came, we landed, we came to his home and he was very sombre. We got a smile at the start, but then over dinner, which was in the dark because they turned the power off at night because there's not enough power, so we're sitting there with candles on, eating string hoppers and a chicken curry of sorts. It was amazing. But in the midst of that, I can just remember the, the heaviness of, 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 of him. And then he shared quite solemn, solemnly. He said, I received some news yesterday and I feel I need to, I'm obliged to tell you this so you can decide what to do. He said, I actually received a threat. He said, there's actually some militant groups here who oppose Christianity. And they go with bars, steel bars and even machetes. And in these underground churches, they just come in in the midst of the meetings and they beat and slice whoever is there. Because I received a threat just yesterday that they might come and visit us this Sunday when we meet. And he put it to us. We're a small team of five people. He goes, I put it to you. Feel free to come or or not to go. I, I can understand. And he just left it to us and we prayed that through. And as a team, we'd, we decided that, we're, well, we're here, we're, we're here to serve, we're in God's hands. So we, we went to that meeting and nothing happened in that particular instance. But guess what? A week later, I got on an airplane and I flew home. But he didn't because he served in that place and continued to serve in that place. Imagine just for a moment, even here, imagine there was the threat in this very moment that any 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 instance, any moment, any second, someone could just walk through that door, black balaclavas, black with poles, and would just walk in and start to beat you, us, simply because we dare to place our faith in Jesus. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? I wonder what it would do to numbers for church attendance. I'm sure it might reduce for a moment, but guess what the rest of the world is finding? That it refines the church, that those come who are committed, fully committed and say, you know what, I live for Jesus, I'm in Jesus' hands. 
This is the reality of our world today. Maybe not here, but in other parts of the world. In Australia, there are no significant levels of widespread or systematic persecution. It's not organised as such, directly against Christian faith. However, there is definitely an undercurrent of negativity and criticism against the biblical values that Christians hold today. So as we share the good news of Jesus, more than ever before, we will face negativity, resistance, slander and even prosecution. Because persecution and opposition is the reality of being a follower of Jesus. Probably more than ever before. We find this. We find that persecution does something. It shapes us. It forms us. Like I shared just a few moments ago, what we're seeing in other parts of the world where persecution is actually at its highest, that's where God often works the greatest. God fills the needs in a greater way. We see the Holy Spirit working in a greater way because they have a greater need, a greater need to trust in Him a greater need to depend on him, and God shows up. When we find ourselves faced with opposition and challenge because of our faith, we find that it is an opportunity to shape us and to grow our faith. This is something we can learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ in all parts of the world. I'd like to share a couple of clips Uh, from Mike Gore in a moment. There's two clips. Now, Mike Gore is the CEO of Open Doors Australia, where I got that world map from just a moment ago. And he's travelled all over the world to support the persecuted church. It's a part of their charter. On their website, they write this, Open Doors doesn't exist to stop persecution, but to help the local church continue to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. I'd like to share two clips of some things that he's learnt in the midst of his travels and as he spends time with people in persecution. I remember it was a a 70 or 80 year old Chinese believer from the underground church and as our time together drew to an end, I simply said to him, brother, can I pray for you? And he says, yeah, I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. I remember I paused and I said... Can you explain that? He says, well, we look at the Australian church as a prophetic example of what happens when faith becomes free. He says the value of Jesus drops. I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. You know, I grew up in a comfortable culture and a beautiful country. And I think when I meet with my time with the persecuted church, they talk to me, you know, the simplicity of the gospel is being able to articulate who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. But when I look at my own life, I feel that the relative safety of culture and the stability of the economic climate that I've grown up in, when I look back, it makes it more and more difficult to see where the hand of Jesus has been, the the highs and the lows, whereas in the persecuted church, they can speak to you for days, for hours, about what Jesus is to them, what he's done in their life, the transformation he brings, why he matters to you. Aren't they challenging words in the first clip i pray that persecution never leaves china and then the motive behind that you could hear the sentiment 
Persecution refines them, it keeps them connected and wanting to know Jesus more. Mike shares also, growing up in Australia, that comfort in a, in a sense means that we don't see God work in the same way as those who have to depend on him day by day, minute by minute. I mean, we say that in the midst of our lives, we depend on Jesus, and we do, and rightly so, we do, but in a different way. Mike's discovery is that Christians living under persecution have a deep and real dependence upon Jesus. They fix their eyes on him in their difficulties and see his hand at work. Both of these quotes show us the unsung gift of facing opposition and challenge in this life. And it's this, a deep and real faith in Jesus Christ emerges the more we face opposition in our lives. So this is a challenge for us. Because we have this illusion, we have this illusion here in the West and it's this, the illusion of control. Yes, we will all face opposition. However, here we have this, like I said, this illusion that we have things under control. There's a degree of control that we have in our life and in our circumstances. I like this quote from Richard Rohr. It says this, The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. Powerful words. The opposite of faith is control. You see, faith is a place where I do not know my situation. I do not know what's going to happen in my circumstances and so I have to place my faith in Jesus, not knowing what's coming. So often, because we have control in our lives, that's where we place our faith. Let me illustrate this a little bit more in the world in which we live. We have financial independence here. Our economy, our household incomes, we have job security. They give us a sense that we can control our destiny. We also have all these mechanisms to control our life. We've developed ways to control every aspect from contraception to end of life. We have abortion, we have treatments, there's new technologies, even euthanasia here in our nation. So the question is, have these, even these controls over whether we'll have children or not, whether we'll continue to live on, they they give us a sense of false control over our life. Even the way we now interact with technology and social media, we can choose the media and the news we want to watch. Even when we watch it, no longer waiting for six o'clock, I wait. <laughs> now you get you know, on your phone, you get on the, online and you can watch anything you want. You don't like a story, you flip over it. You, you don't go there. We have Netflix, TV on demand. It's on our terms And it's from the comfort of our own safe places. Puts us in the driver's seat. In the midst of all of this, what we naturally seek is not opposition and persecution. I'm sure he didn't wake up today and say, Lord, today I'd really love some more opposition. (laughs) I'm looking for a moment to be shaped in my faith. (laughs) We know that's a reality and what it does, but it's not something we generally seek. The things we tend to seek are control, certainty and safety. Control, certainty and safety. If anything, we react against opposition. 
Why? Why is this happening to me? Seems the gospel in free nations is often presented as another positive way to just build up your life, like five steps to a good life. And often the, the difficult conversations aren't even had. However, we know that all of those things are simply an illusion. And if there's any season that has reminded us of that, it went last year and continues to trail right now. COVID was one of the greatest reminders and and, and situations that helped us look at how fickle life truly is. All of a sudden, all the things we thought we had control over were gone. And it's probably brought us and shaped us in a new way. We no longer control, I guess, our situation or think we have the same level of control as we once did. We know that in an instant, we could get a message today that says few little outbreaks of COVID have just occurred, of course, in hotel quarantine. (laughs) And now we have to go back to what? The dreaded word? Lockdown. We know that can happen in an instant. Lord, we pray against it. Actually, that's a really good example of how we want safety, isn't it? it? My natural reaction, Lord, don't do it because I want safety. It's how we operate, but COVID has been an example that we're actually not in control. We're not. And when we look at the life of Jesus, one of the greatest examples, when Jesus uh, was first baptised, he's baptised, he's just about to start his ministry, he goes out to be tempted and in the midst of that situation, Jesus has, has the opportunity to control his situation. He has all the power of, of the heavenly host at his disposal. He has all that power there, but he chooses instead to submit himself to his God. He's offered a number of things in that situation. He's tested with glory and with power, immediacy, all the things we want. We want things now, I want power, I want control and and I want glory. (laughs) YouTube and and many sort of online social media platforms now uh, has built this new era of of becoming popular. We can all become popular and famous if you just post the right clip. You can have a million views in a moment. We can have immediate popularity in the day in which we live and we can see it's craved. People seek it constantly. All of these things are the things that Jesus is tested with and instead he places his faith in his heavenly father. He trusts him. He gives up control and simply says, Lord, I'm here. I trust you. I place my life in your hands. Which leads us to this, which I guess is the practical way for us. So what do we do with this? It's not for us to feel guilty that we're not persecuted as some nations are. Do we seek persecution? Do we create it? No, I don't think that's what's being shared here. I think in the midst of these times, in the midst of the situation and the context that Jesus has placed us in, we need to ask the right questions. The first being, will I be faithful when the message, so will I be faithful with the message 
that God has given me and have faith in God's presence? Will I take what God has entrusted me with and boldly go, sharing it and loving people, not afraid of what might come? You see, it's about not asking why God, but where God. See, the why question, and it's the one that we often do, why are you letting this happen to me? Why is this happening? Is a question that comes out of control. Because I want to know the answers. I want to control this situation. I want all these things to go my way. It's a, it's a question that comes out of our desire to control situations. But the where question is a, where, is a question of faith. It says, in the midst of this, Lord, I trust that you know all things, that you know this place, but where are you at work? Where are you? Where are you working in me? Where are you shaping? Where are you transforming me? It's where are you, Lord? Not why, but where? A well-known pastor from Africa was once sharing a story of a very challenging time in his family and he was asked how he deals with the difficult situations in life. To this he responded, I don't ask the question, why is this happening? But rather, where is God? And the good news tells me that God is with us in whatever the circumstance. Our son John also says a similar thing. Carl Fays, who was the author of this series, when doing some interviews, is interviewing Hassan John. Now, this gentleman is a pastor who visits many refugee camps. And how he was asked, how he encourages people in these difficult times, in these difficult places, he says, with the pastors, I try to tell them and teach them that they are God's representative. They are the shepherds of the sheep and therefore they must be able to teach And let people see the love of God in all that is happening. Not that God is absent. No, that he is there taking us through. You see, God is with us. The challenge for us is not to ask why, but God where. It makes me think of Peter. When they're out on the boat with the disciples and Jesus comes. Jesus comes and calls out and they're in a boat in the midst of a storm. Peter decides to do what? To be obedient to Jesus' calling and he gets out of the boat and walks towards Jesus in the midst of that raging sea. Peter knew something. He knew a truth that is simply this, that it's safer to be with God in the middle of a storm than to be anywhere, anywhere else without him. Anywhere else. So as you go into the life that you live, whatever that may be, school, work, home, retirement, I don't know, (laughs) whatever that looks like, go with this question, where are you working God? Go with boldness to live out your faith, knowing that opposition will come. It will. But know that God is with you. Look for where he's working. Look for where he's calling you to be. I guess you could ask, are you facing opposition? If not, why not? That's a challenging question. (laughs) So you live out your life for Jesus, it will come in some form. 
another final question before I pray. As we come and we give ourselves to our Heavenly Father, a question to ask is, Father, is there someone or somewhere you're calling me to take, to share the gospel, the good news, someone to love in the name of Jesus, despite the opposition that you may face? Are there places, are there people that you're avoiding because of the difficulties it might bring? Again, Father, where? Where do you want me to be? Where are you at work in this place? Where do you want me to go? Let me pray. Let me pray. God, we just come before you and we thank you first that you are always with us. Lord, this is your promise. But you also prepare us to know that as followers of Jesus, Lord, that it won't be smooth sailing, that opposition will come in many forms. In Australia here, it looks very different to other parts of the world. But we ask that you enable us here in Australia, Lord, to be bold and to be faithful to you. Help us to love with grace. Help us to share your good news, Lord, with, with grace also. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, right now, Father, would just give us boldness, Lord, to leave this place and to go living our days for you. If you're sitting here right now and you're saying yes, you're saying, I need, I, I need more strength in my life. I, I, I can't do this on my own. If that's you, I just I only encourage you as I pray. God can hear your heart. Just agree in your spirit and say, yes, Lord. That's my desire. So, Lord, we come before you as your people, Father, and we seek you. We need you above all things. We ask and pray that you forgive us, Lord, for trying to control our situation, for always just trying to seek comfort, safety, security. Forgive us, Lord, when we doubt you because things don't go our way. So, Lord, we come and ask that you may help us to place our faith in you, no matter what the situation Help us, Lord, not to ask the why question. Help us to ask where. Where are you working, Father? We pray now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will just give us the boldness that we live, that we need to live for you. Lord, for each person here now, just agreeing in their spirit, in their hearts, saying, yes, Lord, I need you more than ever. I just pray that your Holy Spirit will fill them afresh. An extra measure of your Holy Spirit for them, Lord, as they go. Equip them. Give them all that they need to live their lives for you. So Lord, we pray that these truths won't hold us back, but they'll enable us to stand with boldness, Father. With our heads held high, continuing to share your good news, knowing that you are with us, Lord, through all things, whatever may come, whatever the cost. We come as your people, Father. We look forward to the way that you will work in us and through us and in this community. Lord, we also pray for our nation here in Australia. People seem to be moving away from you more and more. Lord, we would ask and pray that in this time that you would draw people to yourself, that they may come to see you and the truth that is in you. Lord, I pray that as our nation becomes all the darker, that your truth 
will shine all the brighter. We ask that would be the case also in our lives, Father. May we live our lives for you. We pray all of these things and thank you that you are with us. We pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people declare, Amen.